All right, well, good morning. If you have a Bible, open it to Psalm 78. Psalm 78, we're going to be there uh, for the next three weeks. We're going to look at this great psalm and another passage in Deuteronomy. I promise it's a little different than we've been in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Anyone know what the the word Shema means in Hebrew? Shema, hear and listen, hear and obey. Anyone? Shema. This is very helpful. Next week we're going to show a different video explaining what the word Shema means. Thank you for that little uh, crowd participation. Uh, Open your Bible to Psalm 78. And before we get there, we're going to pray. And we have been in the habit now of uh, praying for other pastors. And that's something a mentor taught me to pray for another pastor, whether it's a church down the road or a church across the world, whether it's a Baptist church or another kingdom-minded church. And so last week we prayed for uh, Pastor Jose Abaroa at Cypress Creek Church. This week I'm going to pause on praying for pastors and just celebrate God's goodness in that this fire, the Oak Grove fire that's now uh, confirmed at 400 acres has laid down and God showed his mercy and kindness. Can we praise God for that? Maybe you didn't know about that. It was just over a mile from our home. So it got a little personal in River Mountain Ranch, okay? Um, I just want to say this. We have a ministry team. The county asked us to open up a shelter here. And so many volunteers here that sprung right into action. And I'm so grateful and so proud of those that were ready to do that in, in a moment's notice. But can I also say this? Genuinely, truly, People were praying that God would show his mercy. And there are firefighters and hot shots and sheriff's deputies and, and EMT and all of that uh, that went to put their life on the line to try to stop this fire. And as a result, our home was not destroyed. Praise God, right? Isn't that good? Uh, and so some have asked me to pray for rain. And I think God uh, gives rain both on the just and the unjust. And if he showed his mercy and kindness to stop that fire... Uh, Maybe in the coming days and weeks, uh, the one who controls the skies would show his mercy and kindness to give us rain. Amen? All right, that wasn't even the sermon. All right, that's just saying God is good and merciful and and gracious to us. I can't tell you, talking to my neighbors, the the fear in their eyes. We're going to lose our home. The fear in their eyes. And, And for me to say, and for those that were up here at the church to say, look, there is a greater hope. And it's found in Jesus. Our homes can go, all right? But if you, know, if you know who Christ is, there is an eternity waiting for you. If you repent and believe and surrender your life to Christ, there's an eternity waiting for you. That's the opportunity we have when something like this happens in our community. So let's pray for our community. Let's thank God for his goodness. Let's thank God for uh, those that put their life on the line. And let's pray for rain. Can we do that? Okay, well, let's, let's go. Father, thank you for an opportunity to bring our request to you. We do so with gratitude. Philippians 4 says that. We, we wouldn't be anxious, but in all things, uh, with prayer and supplication, with grateful hearts, with thankful hearts, to present our request to you. So we thank you, and we praise you, God. We praise you for those that mobilized here at this church. We thank you for uh, the firefighters and the hot shots and the volunteer firefighters and the sheriff's deputies and the EMTs. They all rush to the scene, some of them putting their life on the line. And you use that. Lord, you laid the winds down. You're gracious and merciful, and we praise you, God. More than anything, when people are scared of things like that, would we as Christians be bold and unashamed of the gospel? There is a greater hope found in Jesus' name, and would we share that, not just when 
when tough suffering comes, but all the time would we share that Christ is better, that there's a hope in Christ. And Lord, if you would be so kind and so gracious to give rain to this parched land, we declare, God, that you created the heavens, therefore your glory, that you control the skies, and you are able. Lord, you are able. Won't you send the rain physically? But even in this service, in a moment like this, when we talk about family, your design for family, uh, would you send a spiritual nourishment? Would people walk out of this place encouraged to live for you and honor you with their families? God, I need help. If that's going to be the response, I pray you would do great things in this moment. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Anyone have a family heirloom at home? Uh, family heirloom passed down the family, uh, a legacy, really, something that you really value. I don't know if you noticed this, but I kind of hit it just so I could have this moment. <laughs> Sorry, I only get to do that once, okay? This, this is from my grandfather. It is an antique sword. It's really fancy. It was ceremonial. It wasn't used in battle. Uh, it was given to him as part of a ceremony. My mom likes to think that it's because... He uh, retired as a three-star general from the army, uh, served in some wars. My granddad's dad's brother is who got it, Uncle Lane, okay? My granddad's dad was red, great-granddaddy red. His brother Lane received this sometime, whether he was active or in his retirement. It's about a 150-year-old ceremonial sword, and it's important to me. It's mostly important to me. Because one Christmas, it was presented to my younger brother, who also served in the army, because he uh, went to two tours in Iraq. My mom had decided after my granddad died that he should have it. Well, then my brother died in 2020, and now I hold it in memory of my brother, in memory of my granddad, in memory of his great uncle. Is that right? Just uncle, all right? This is pretty cool. Family heirloom. If you want to see this sword, come ask me later. I'll show it to you. It's a pretty cool sword. My wife has um, some diamonds from her grandmother. Uh, she, she didn't grow up with Mitch Means, but what she had after she died, it, it was saved for my wife because she was the only granddaughter, only other grandson. She was the granddaughter, so she has them. She cherishes those. I wonder if there's something you could identify in your home that you cherish. A family heirloom, something passed down. And, and if I fail to pass that down, the chain is broken. You see what happens there? If I don't give that away to my son or to his son's son, the chain is broken and then we lose that story. Well, it's cool to do that sword, but I want to tell you something I treasure even more. My, my dad wasn't a believer until I was about 10 or 11 years old. He had the brain disease. I've told you all about that before. But I came home one time from 6th or 7th grade, and he had my Bible open to the Sermon on the Mount, just pouring over it. This is my childhood Bible, such a childhood Bible that, I know this is a long illustration, y'all, just bear with me, we're gonna read Psalm 78, okay? It still has the like illustrations, okay? This is a child Bible, I got it in grade school, but it's the only one I had, and he opens it to the Sermon on the Mount, and he's just feverishly underlining, 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 and he goes to the front here, and he's written two, two scriptures, I'll read you one, Matthew 6, in his handwriting, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Jesus preaching about not worrying. I cherish that. My dad's no longer living. My dad was not a believer when I was 
in my formative years, but there was a time when he just wanted to pour out and make sure that I knew what it was to walk by faith. I cherish those things. I wonder if you are a parent in the room or a grandparent in the room, what things you have done to pour faith into the next generation. I wonder. And as I read this psalm, Psalm 78, verse 1 through 8, I just ask that you would consider the things that you are doing and the things that you could start to do to intentionally pour faith down into the next generation. Let me read Psalm 78, verse 1 through 8. Give ear, O people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, things that our fathers have told us. If you write in your Bible, underline, our fathers have told us. Because it's repeated. I'm just giving you a clue right there. There's going to be repetition. Moms, dads, it's your job to teach these things. Verse 3, things that our fathers have told us. Verse 4, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. I don't know if you sang that last song loudly, but I did. Great are you, Lord. Your wondrous deeds, your mighty deeds. God, you are awesome. And I want to praise you if you have any age child coming up, adult children in your life, grandchildren in your life, how are you telling and declaring to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might? We're going to get there. I'm not even preaching yet. I need to read this. Verse 5. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them and the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children. Have you seen the legacy passing down from one generation to another generation? Verse 7, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Okay, listen, I have never desired to stand up here and preach the word and just beat you up with it. I promise. It might feel like that sometimes. And if it does, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit is just doing a little bit of heart work in you that you might change one thing, one small step at a time to live more faithfully. So if you are up here and you feel like, man, I raised my kids and, and I just did not do this, don't, don't let me beat you up. Don't let the Holy Spirit beat you up. Ask the Spirit, lead me and teach me one thing I could do to pray for my adult child, to write them a note, to write them a letter, to encourage them, to pray for my grandchildren, to have them over and pour out some kind of piece of the things that I believe about the great God who does mighty and wondrous things. Amen? I'm not trying to beat anyone up this morning. I promise you that. I am wanting to declare the scriptures that they might wash over us and nourish us, that we might be spurred on and motivated to live better for his glory. The response as I continue to preach is not feel beat up because you feel like you're not doing a good job or you didn't do a good job. It's what Paul said in Philippians 3, forgetting what lies behind, I press on towards the future of the upward call of Christ Jesus. There is a prize there. And if there's something that I can do to pass down faith to the next generation, Lord, help me to do it. While I have breath in my lungs, God, show me what I can do. 
That's all I'm trying to say, okay? Don't, don't feel beat up. But also, don't shut your ears. Say, oh, man, that's, this isn't for me. It is for you. If you're a young person in your teens, it's for you. Because you might, Lord willing, one day be a parent or an aunt or an uncle. You might have younger siblings. If you are a great-grandparent and you have a dozen great-grandchildren, guess what? This is for you. Do not shut your ears. Do not tune out of this just because you don't have grade school kids in your home. This is for you. And I want the word to equip you. You may have heard the stats about losing the next generation or the college dropout rates, church kids dropping out in college. They were raised in the church. They go to college. They drop out. They deconstruct their faith. Have you heard this? Show of hands. Anyone? Can you? Okay. Now, you haven't heard Shema, but you have heard about this. This is helpful, right? Some studies say 40 to 60% of kids raised in church drop out of church once they leave the home, go to college or start a job. That's alarming. Some even go all the way up to 90% of teenagers raised in church drop out. If you know anything about a, a guy named Richard Ross, I like Richard Ross. He teaches at Southwestern Theological Seminary. He says there is a key difference between those kids that drop out and those kids that don't. And here is the key difference. Not that they went to church growing up, but rather they had parents who had meaningful conversations with them in the home. It's not just that they went to VBS or they went to summer camp or they got dropped off in the children's building or dropped off at youth ministry. No, mom and dad or mom or dad or grandma or grandpa said, hey, what did you learn? They said, hey, why don't you come to the gathering with us? There's generations from from." Eight decades worshiping the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, declaring the glorious deeds of the Father. Come along. I want, I want to invest in you spiritually. If you really drill down and survey some of the kids that are dropping out, what Richard Ross says is most of them did not have that. Which means the one that did is less likely to be part of that dropout generation. Church, that's why I'm passionate about family that's why I'm passionate about equipping moms and dads, equipping the church. How do you pray for moms and dads? How do you come alongside your brothers and sisters in the faith? I told you several months ago, this is a major priority in my first year, is that we would be a church that equips moms and dads to be spiritual leaders in their home. That's why we're having this little sermon series, okay? But I also want to walk through the text because I think it nourishes us. In, in a Christ-centered home, that's the title of the series, Christ-centered homes, to build a legacy of faith. Here are three things that need to be done to build this legacy of faith. The first is this, listen. Verse 1 through 3, look again. The psalmist here, Asaph, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this in verse 1 through 3. Give ear, O my people, incline your ears. I will open my mouth and I will teach these things. Listen. Listen. I don't know if you've ever done this before. I have. I'm ashamed to say. But you know if someone's having a conversation in the next room over and you really want to hear it, but you can't hear it, it's just muffled noise. So you go get a glass cup out of the kitchen and you put it to your ear and you press it up against the door. Anyone? Anyone? I know I'm, this is interactive. Raise your hand again if you ever did that. I've done that, okay? I'm ashamed to say I've done that. But do you know why I did that? Because I wanted to press in. I want to sit on the edge of my seat. I wanted to incline my ear and say, what's going on in there? I'm so curious. Is that the way that we listen to the teachings of the scripture? 
Is that the way that before we even think about trying to teach the next generation about God's mighty deeds and, and glorious wonders, we are listening ourselves. The psalmist is begging the nation of Israel to listen to the wisdom that's passed down from one generation to another, to apply it to their own lives. We need to first and foremost listen to the teachings of Christ ourselves. And then we can give them to the next generation. Maybe one of the reasons why we're failing to impart a legacy of faith to the next generation is we don't really care about our own faith enough to pass it down. We're not inclining our ear. We're not in the word. We're not desperate to press into the presence of God and say, teach me, I want to learn. Your word is, is good and righteous. It's, it's worthy to train me for righteousness. You breathe out every word, God, so I want to read it from Genesis to Revelation. I want to know you more, and I want to know you through your word. Well, you're not going to pass it down if you don't have a passion yourself. The first step, if we're going to build this legacy of faith, is to listen. Listen. Now, if you're confused about verse 2, you're not alone. I was confused when I first read this. The psalmist says, I'm going to teach you dark sayings. Uh-oh. What's, what's going on? Is it like witchcraft? What's, what are these dark saying? Why is the psalmist talking about dark? Isn't this like truth and light and, and goodness and God's mercies? What is this dark sayings? I don't know what's going on. Well, you can just write down Matthew 13, 35. In Matthew 13, 35, uh, there is this same language about dark sayings, Right? This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Something hidden, all right? A teaching, a wisdom that has been hidden. It's, it's nothing more than something that needs to be unearthed and revealed because it was hidden. It was not passed on. That's the language that Jesus uses in Matthew 13. Here's the rub. The psalmist is saying, I'm going to say these things so you better listen. Why did he need to say dark sayings? Because somebody failed to tell the generation before him. That's scary. We'll come back to that. No broken chains in this link of faith. There should be no broken links in the chain of faith. Don't be guilty of failing to do your part to pass it down to the next generation. Parents that want to lead a Christ-centered home must first be listening to Jesus, hearing and obeying the commands of Christ, not just in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. We already talked about that in the book of Deuteronomy. We must be zealous and passionate to hear ourselves. And so I just ask you, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, if you want to pass down a legacy of faith, how are you listening to the scripture? Literally. What's growing in you that you might be a hearer and doer of God's word? How do you listen? How do you first press in, incline your ear? Number two, if you want to build this legacy of faith, we are called to speak. Speak. Christian parents have to speak the glorious deeds of the Lord, his might, his wondrous works. We have to speak about what God has done. Did you see that in verse four? I will tell the coming generation. I will speak up. I'm not going to be silent. I'm going to use my words to glorify God. Here's a practical one, all right, for any age person in the room. If you have a younger sibling, younger brother, younger sister, if you have a great grandchild, if you're raising a kid from birth to 18, raise your hand. No, don't raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass anyone. Consider for a moment. Just consider. How many of you can ask your child, 3, 13, 
43. How many of you can ask your child, do you know mommy's testimony, how Jesus saved my life? Do you, do you, have I ever told you when I surrendered to Christ? Because as your dad, I, I think it's really important that, that you would know the glorious deeds of a mighty God that picked me up out of the mire of my sin and put my feet on a firm foundation that I might repent and believe and start running after Jesus. And I want you to know that story because I want to declare the glorious deeds of God. That's a real easy one. You don't have to have the whole Old Testament memorized. You don't even need to know what Shema means. That's fine. Just ask your kid, do you know the story about when I gave my life to Christ? Because if you don't, I want to tell you. And then I want to tell you again. And then I want to tell you again. So that at, at the dinner table, next time I ask you, and you say, yeah, I've heard the story, Dad. Thank you for the 10th time. I can tell the story. I got it. Speak. Open your mouth. And I won't read this passage because we're going to spend a long two weeks just breaking through Deuteronomy 6. But that is what Moses begs Israel to do. Going into the promised land, he says, hear and listen. Our God is one he is awesome and you should love him with all your heart, might, and soul. Love him and then teach these things diligently. How do you teach diligently? You teach by speaking. Of course, they have to look at your actions. Of course, actions, you got to practice what you pre preach. And sometimes actions speak louder than words, but you got to use your words, folks. You got to use your words. And so two things that you might start hearing a lot about with Sean and Melinda and children's ministry and student ministry. And when you come to trainings, uh, when you hear about how to be equipped as a parent is faith talks and God sightings. I'll just summarize that very briefly because I'll tell you more next week. Faith talks is anytime you intentionally talk about the Lord with your kid. You pray for them when you tuck them in at night. You ask them at the dinner table, what'd you learn at youth group on Wednesday night? You're talking to your preteen daughter and she's freaking out about friends and social life. And you say, have you ever considered just casting your cares on the Lord? First Peter 5, 2 says that we should cast our cares on the one who cares for us. It's just a little intentional moment, sometimes planned, right? Most times planned, sometimes it just comes and you talk about the Lord. Faith talks and then God sightings. God sightings is when God just drops a rainbow in your lap or a pretty sunset or, or your kid comes through and says, hey, did you know that... Uh, I learned this verse and you weren't planning on it at all, but you see the Lord in something and you want to talk about it. Faith talks and God sightings. I want to tell you, and I could spend an hour here, but I won't. In the next year, five years, 10 years, your ministry team desperately wants to equip you, whether you are raising teenagers or grade school kids, whether you're a single mom or a grandparent trying to influence your grandkids, whether you're an aunt or an uncle, whether you're single and you're 45 and you say, I'm never going to have kids, you need to learn how to do this so you can come alongside someone in our church that's trying to do it and struggling, a mom that's pulling her hair out saying, I'm trying so hard to be intentional and pass down this faith, but I'm going to go crazy. And then you go alongside of her and say, how can I help? I'm your sister in the Lord. How can I help? We desperately want to equip our church to feel like there are small things they can do to build on that they might pass down faith to the next generation. 
All right, so I'm going to bring up my kid in the next service. I'm going to bring up my wife in this one. I don't typically tuck in my wife like this, uh, but especially when our kids were younger, and still sometimes we tuck in our kids. If you've done any training with us so far, a parent-child dedication, or uh, we did a passport to purity we're going to do next week. This is, this is a plug here. If you know anybody that's trying to raise kids that are preschool to kindergarten, first, second grade, and, and they don't know how to bring their kids into the worship service. In fact, that really scares them because they're just going to wiggle the whole time and everyone's going to be looking at us and we're going to be so distracted. Would you please beg them to come to a free training next Sunday where we're going to serve lunch and my wife, who's got a lot more wisdom than me because she's a godly mom, and I are going to team up to teach you how to bring your kid into the big gathering. Please don't miss that. It's next Sunday, right after church. When is it, church? Next Sunday, right after church, we're going to feed you lunch. Then we're going to teach you a few tricks and a few practical things and then cast some vision and say, you can do this. You really can do this. One of the things we might tell you about is these family blessing cards, which grandparents, you can use them with your grandkids, all right? It's not just for parents of young kids, but you can flip to any verse in here as you're tucking in your kid. Here's a benediction from 2 Corinthians 13, 14. And I might tuck in my sweet wife like this, which is, you could do this in your marriage too. But usually I would put a hand on, on a forehead for my daughters or my son. I'll put a hand here on their chest and say, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit abide with you now and forever. Amen. I love you. Good night. It's that easy. Would you give it up for my wife? Anyone? Give it up for her. That seems like a small thing, but if you did that once a week for 52 weeks next year, and then for the next 10 years, if you did that 500 times once a week, imagine the kind of legacy of faith. It could be just as a small little tool to say, hey, look, I always wanted to bless you with scripture. I can't bless you uh, with things that I just coming up for you, but I can bless you with scripture. And I always wanted to do that. So I poured that into you because I love you. And I want you to see the glorious deeds of a God, his might and his wondrous works. I want to speak these things over you. Wouldn't that be good? It's little steps, guys, little steps. I got one more for you. And then we're going to keep, keep rolling through. Joshua 24 Verse 15, you might know this. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? You know that at the end of verse 15? Choose this day whom you would serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Look at this picture. We moved into our new house a couple months ago, and I hadn't done this yet. Uh, but we did it in, in our previous two houses. We wrote Joshua 24, 15 over our doorframe. Small step. It's really little. But maybe my kids would remember that. And every home they live in, from here on, the, they could write Joshua 24, 15 over their doorframe. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So this is Gracie and Becca cheesing out because they're posing for this picture. We just did this yesterday. We wrote this in the doorframe of our new house. It's a small little thing to say, girls, I know that I don't get it right all the time. And I know that sometimes I don't represent Christ well. And I have to come and ask for forgiveness. And God is so good to wash me with his grace. But can I tell you that my heart of hearts, my heart cry for you, Gracie and Becca and Zadok, is that you would know that in this house, we want to be Christ-centered, that we want to serve the Lord. So when we discipline you or correct you or encourage you or bless you, we're trying to point you to those things because as for me and my house, for your mom and for me, we want to serve the Lord. And so we're going to write this right here. And every time we see it going through that doorframe, we're going to remember we've chosen, we've asked the Lord for his grace so that we might possibly do a good job to represent what it means to be a house that serves the Lord little thing. 
I give you that challenge. If you've not done that, I know some of you guys have really pretty frames in your home. That's cool too. But if you haven't done that, just get a Sharpie marker and write it on your doorframe. Get your kids, gather your grandkids and say, well, we're going to write this here. We're going to make this commitment. We're trying desperately under God's grace to be a house that serves the Lord. Small thing. You have to speak. What ways can you improve on speaking about the Lord with your family? God has done glorious things. He's shown his strength and his wondrous works. Works We should talk about them. Listen, then speak. Last one is teach. Verse 5 through 8. And here we see the repetition that we should teach. A generation is going to rise up and tell their children. Do you see that? The no broken links here in verse 6. The next generation might know them. And children yet unborn. There is a generation of children that may be born that will have a direct effect on the kind of legacy of faith you try to pass down. It's more than a sword, guys. It's not just a family heirloom. It is your trust in Jesus, okay? And I want this passed down for the next 100 years unless Jesus comes back and then I'm a fine. This can burn. It's no big deal. But if Jesus tarries, I'd love to have it passed down for the next 100 years. But you know what I would like more to be passed down? A genuine understanding that in Christ we can know our our God who's made us, our Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Through Christ, we can be forgiven and washed clean. In Christ, we can have a relationship that's giving full life and the promise of eternity and a truer hope, a lasting hope, and joy. And I want that passed down to the next generation. Amen? Amen. I know I'm getting really excited up here, church. I'm hoping that some of that could rub off on us, that we would encourage one another and stir one another up. Look at the repetition of the language. Fathers have told us, verse 3, verse 5, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. What do we see here? It's repetition in the Bible. And every time we see repetition in the Bible, it's a flashing red light. Jake Neal got it. He was right there with me. Fathers. And I would add, mothers. Look at the, the letter to the Timothys. Timothy, this great man of God that's called the pastor of this church at Ephesus, Paul's reminding him, remember the faith that your grandmother poured into your mom and the the faith that your mom poured into you, Timothy. We got to teach. There should be no broken links in this chain, right? The generation should not skip. And even when it does, at times, some parts of my own story are like this. God, is it gracious to to fill in the gap and be a father to the fatherless and and equip me to make sure that the next generation doesn't get a broken link. What are the things you were most excited to teach your kids? I talked to a a dad that's so excited to teach his grand boys how to fish. Man, he's just, one day I get to teach my grandsons how to fish. Praise God for that. There's nothing wrong with that. But would that same passion be matched with one day I'm going to have a conversation with my kid about how they trusted in Jesus? Or my grandkid about how they trusted in Jesus. We were watching that fire last night. I talked to a New Mexico uh, deputy chief from Roswell, New Mexico, saying, I got to get the apps to follow the planes and see how this thing's growing. And he goes, I got to tell you something a lot more important than that fire, Aaron. Two nights ago, my six-year-old daughter prayed to receive Jesus Christ. She surrendered to Jesus, and now Jesus is her king. And I know, I know for a fact where she stands sitting in eternity. Isn't that good? He didn't want to talk about the fires. He wanted to talk about a six-year-old daughter trusting Jesus. Would we, would we be that passionate? I wanted to teach my girls how to two-step, all right? 
I couldn't wait. And I've taught them both. And you can ask them, right? I love dancing with my girls. I couldn't wait to teach them. But did you know even more than that, I wanted to teach them how they can put their faith and trust in Jesus. Because I'm not commanded to teach my girls how to two-step, but I am commanded to teach my girls who Jesus is. Right? The fathers should tell the next generation. Verse 5, the fathers were commanded to teach their children. How are you teaching? And a little humble reminder from Ezra chapter 7. This prophet who found the book of the law and he studied it and he read it and he studied it again. And he said, I want to set my heart to do this before I teach it. Listen, Ezra 7, 10. Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. That's the right order. I want to teach. I want to teach my kids. I'm going to teach my grandkids. But more than that, I want to, I want to know it and I want to live it. And then I want to teach it. That's not to say you have to be perfect because I'm not perfect. It is to say that should be our heartbeat. That we would live for the Lord in such a way that when we teach, our kids could see by example as well. We shouldn't expect to teach our kids the things of the Lord unless we ourselves have set our hearts to obey them. That's what we get from Ezra chapter 7. And I get it as a preacher as well. But don't lose sight of this, verse 6. There is a legacy waiting for, for those that can catch a vision of this, there is a legacy waiting that your prayer and your heart cry might be verse 6. That you would n declare to the coming generation, verse 4, but then verse 6, the next generation would know them and then the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children. That's like four generations down the line. Mom and dad, the decisions you're making right now to, to teach your kids about the Lord or his word or the church or how we worship or how to live in obedience to him, the decisions you're making right now, right now, today, are you thinking about the impact that that could have four generations down the line? If you're not, Psalm 78 would, would help you lean that way. If you're not thinking about that, consider the legacy to build this legacy of faith. And I know, I know that it's intimidating. When I tell you next week that we're expecting kids from kindergarten to 18 to come gather in the worship service with us, there are going to be moms and dads, deers in the headlights, wide-eyed, jaws dropped saying, excuse me, what? We're going to bring our kids in here? What? You don't know my kid. They're literally going to be hanging from the rafters. And I'll say, great, perfect. If they're learning about Jesus, let them hang from the rafters, okay? And your brothers and sisters in your faith family are going to be patient and show grace to that kid and to you as you slowly try to teach him, hey, look, this probably isn't the right time to hang from the rafters. Let's open our Bibles and learn something about Jesus, okay? I get the intimidation. I understand the intimidation, and it's going to take some time, and it's a slow process for our church culture to change. But do you know that my... My desire, my prayer, we've been praying as a ministry staff about this, is that we could see that culture changed because of verse 6. Because I know the potential legacy that's being missed out on when moms and dads aren't having those conversations at home, when moms and dads aren't getting to worship in this gathering with their children. And so I, I plead with you, if you're intimidated, buckle up and let us help you. Come next week to that lunch that you might listen and speak and teach.
briefly, I just want to show you three motivations. Why should we teach them? That's the rest of this psalm. We should be motivated because of verse 7 and verse 8. Moms and dads, grandmas and grandmas, we should be motivated because if the, the chain gets broken, right, this, this chain link that's supposed to be passed down from one generation to the next, if there is a stopgap in this chain, there is potential danger. And we see it in verse 7 and verse 8. Three motivations for teaching the next generation. Number one, so that they should set their hope in God. It's right there in the text. Verse 7, so that they should hope in the Lord. Guess what, mom and dad? You can't believe in Jesus for your kid. You can't. Thank you. I got one witness out there. You can't make a decision to trust and follow Jesus for your kid. You can't. But you know what you can do? You can get on your knees if you have that prodigal son or prodigal daughter. You can pour out a foundation and say, look, we can't work our way for forgiveness, but Jesus bought and paid for it at the cross. And I am desperate for you to know that, not just with your eyes, but deep in your heart, that scales would come off. And you might confess with your mouth, but believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord. I can't make my kid believe. You can't make your kid believe, but you can declare the glorious deeds of the Lord. Verse 7, so that they might set their hope in the Lord. We should be laying gospel foundations for our young kids and our young grandkids. We should be praying desperately for their salvation. Praying that the spirit would move in their hearts, that they might cry out to Jesus as Savior. And pray that they would bear fruit to prove the reality of their conversion. Praying also that they would persevere because they're going into a crazy world that's full of darkness and the, the devil's prowling around like a roaring lion. Why do we teach? So that they might set their hope in the Lord. Number two, so that they would not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Did you see that? They would set their hope and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. God's faithfulness in the history of the Bible, redemptive history, it's shown over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And I could say that for all day. His faithfulness is shown. What happened when you see Israel is that they failed to tell their children about the faithfulness of God. And then one generation forgot. And the generation behind them just said, we're going to worship other gods. The generation behind them said, who is God? It's scary. What do we be passionate to make sure that doesn't happen to our kids? It's your job to have these faith talks, intentional faith talks at home. When you sit in your house, when you lie down, when you, when you rise and when you, that's not right. Deuteronomy 6, you got to quiz your pastor on this one, right? When you sit in your home, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, we should be having these kinds of faith talks. And if not, there's a risk that they would forget the glorious deeds of the Lord. We teach the next generation so that they would not forget the mighty works of God, but keep his commands. I want to trust and obey. I know that there's no better joy than to trust and obey. I want to live my life for God's glory. That's, that's our goal, church. Declare it to the next generation. Number three, we're motivated to teach and pass these things down so that they would not be like a stubborn and rebellious generation. Look at verse eight one more time. that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. Now, if you've not read Psalm 78, it goes on and on and on all the way through verse 72. 
And what happens in verse 9 all the way through about verse 68, it's talking about Israel's failure to pass down the legacy of faith. I'm not going to read it here for you. You can read it yourself. The fathers did not declare to the next generation. In fact, they were stubborn. They were hard-hearted. They disobeyed. They worshiped idols. Here's the history of their failure. They forgot God's power and his faithfulness at Exodus. All the plagues and God's mighty redemption that brought this nation out of the oppression of slavery. They didn't, they didn't teach those things diligently. They forgot about it. They, they wandered and complained in the wilderness for a whole generation. Oh, God just hates us. It's so hot and we got nothing to eat and we'd rather just go back to slavery. We at least like the food back in Egypt. They forgot God's provision in the desert. Verse 56 through 64 tells a story that after they made it to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, guess what Israel did again? They grumbled against God and they rebelled against him. And the psalmist uses all that as an example to say, this is the failure of building a legacy of faith. It leads to ruin and it crumbles. I don't want to get real with you. I don't know your full testimony. But I know many people in this room have walked in rebellion to the Lord. And praise God for his grace that he would draw you to repentance to come back into a right relationship with him. But guess what happens when we walk in sin, especially continual sin? There are scars there that never leave us. Jesus paid for that, and you might be saved in eternity, but that doesn't mean that you don't have struggle or scars or memories of your rebellion. You read the rest of Psalm 78, and you'll see that in Israel's history. Scars and memories of their rebellion. Don't you want to do everything you can to try to keep your kids from that? Why teach them? So that they would not be like a stubborn and rebellious generation. We teach the next generation so that they would not have those scars and pain and struggle of walking away from the Lord for seasons of their life. We are desperate that they would walk face to face with Christ in full life and abundant life and abundant joy. And guess what, mom and dad? That means you've got to work a little bit harder to, to be intentional at home. You don't buy their salvation with your works. I'm not trying to say that. I am trying to say that God has given you a stewardship and some people are doing really, really well. And some people, if you're like me, are just struggling and we need encouragement and we need help and we need to be trained and we need accountability and we need prayers because I don't want to not pass down a legacy of faith to the next generation. Amen? So if you're struggling, you're in the right place. Come and struggle with us. And then let me just read this as I come to a close. I love the way this psalm ends. It's so beautiful. Verse 70, even all that rebellion from verse 9 to 69, yet God shows his grace and mercy. Verse 70, he chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep folds, from following the nursing ewes. He brought them to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance, with upright heart. He shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Now it's talking about David, all right, shepherding the nation of Israel. Almost cut my leg off. It's talking about David shepherding, but did you know that David points us to the better shepherd in John 10, the chief shepherd? 
the one who lays his life down for his sheep. And did you know even in our stubbornness and our rebellion and our failures and our struggles, God is still saying, I want to shepherd your heart. You're my son, even if you're 43 and struggling through fatherhood. You're my son and I want to shepherd you well. Isn't it good that we can receive grace and mercy through Christ? If you don't know what a relationship with Jesus looks like, please don't leave without talking to me or someone you came to church with and say, I want to know because I, I feel like I've tried and tried and tried and tried to do what he's saying and I can't do it. And maybe it's because you've never surrendered to Jesus and the only way to be a faithful Christian parent is to have the Holy Spirit yourself. And you receive that spirit when you surrender to Jesus. We would love to talk to you about that. But here's the other thing as I come to a close. If it's possible that you as mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, sibling can do even one thing more intentionally to listen to the Lord yourself, speak about the glorious deeds of God, or teach the next generation. If you can do one thing, would you come ask the Lord for help today? And if you're like, man, I, I just can't think of anything, would you ask the Lord to help our church be the kind of church that's equipping the next generation so that there would be no unbroken links in the chain of building a legacy of faith for the next generation and the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Pray for that at First Baptist Wimberley. All right? Let's pray. God, I just ask for you to do something more than I could ask or imagine. Ephesians 3. We want to be a gospel people. We want to be Christ-centered. That is most important. But this element of family is, is such a huge part of that. And so in our church, change the culture. In my family, would we be a house that serves the Lord? And however you want to move now in this service, God, have your way. I know we're a few minutes late, but that doesn't matter. If you want to do business here in this moment, God, have your way with us. Have your way with us. Show us just one thing that we can build off of small victories, one thing to be intentional, to declare the mighty deeds of God, his wondrous might, his salvation, his redemption, our own testimony, what we learn in scripture, just one thing that we can build on that we might speak and teach the coming generation. Help us, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.